Well, it is a joy to head into a Christmas season. And I tell you what, I have not gotten tired of Christmas. I have not gotten tired of Christmas. You know why? Because I haven't gotten tired of preaching about Jesus. And Christmas is one of those opportunities where you just bring it right back to the main thing. It's right on Jesus, who he is, and what he has done. So we're kicking off a new series this month that I'm calling Jesus is Better. Because we're going to be digging into the Sundays in December a book in the Bible that unpacks this truth and uses the word better 12 times. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1. And you get ready to follow along as I begin reading in verse 1. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. But before I read it, I want to lay some groundwork for you as to what is going on in these four verses. These are four glorious verses that are actually the prologue or the introduction for everything else that the author wants to unpack for us in this book. In these four verses, it's actually one long, glorious string of subordinate clauses that are declaring the glories and wonders of Jesus Christ. In the original language, these four verses are one long, run-on sentence filled with subordinate clauses. The New King James keeps it that way. The ESV and the NIV and other translations actually break it down into multiple sentences to try to help you grasp what is going on. And I understand, but I actually like leaving it alone because it causes you to just say, what in the world? When will this sentence end? Well, it's not going to end for a while because there's so much to say about Jesus because he's so much better. But as I've read it, every year when I read in my Bible, I get here and I'm like, oh my goodness. So a couple years ago, I threw myself some notes in a folder and said, this could be Christmas stuff. This Hebrews could be Christmas stuff. Ooh, he's better. So, but as I've read it this week, over and over and over, I understand why they put it in multiple sentences. You cannot read these four verses with the TV on at the same time. I like college football, but you can't read these verses and have the TV on at the same time. You have to slow down. Every time I've read it, I've got to slow down, and I've got to chew on it over and over and over to say, what is he saying? What is going on here? So stand with me in honor of God's glorious son that is being extolled in these majestic four verses. Hebrews chapter one, beginning in verse one. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke In time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son. Whom he has appointed heir of all things through whom he also made the worlds. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become so much, say it, say it louder. 
better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Oh, there is no way I can unpack all the treasures that are tucked down into these four verses. So all I want to try to do with the time that remains is this. I want to show you three things that I think we can learn about God from these verses. It's always good when you can learn about God. Three things that I think we can learn about God in these verses. Here's the first, number one. God has never been a silent, hiding God. Look at verse one again. God, who at various times and in various ways, say the word, spoke. Now, before you just rush past that and think whatever, please don't think whatever. Oh, my goodness, there are two glorious, life-changing words in that one verse. God spoke. Just let that sink in for a minute. Oh, yes, he exists. And I hope you realize the Bible wastes no time defending the existence of God. It just starts in Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, say it. God. God. Why? Because you know there's a God. Shut up, atheist. Shut up. Everybody's saying, I just don't know. I just don't know. Oh, you do know you don't want there to be a God. Creation itself just screams, God. The oceans, the craggy mountains, the rivers, the creeks, the multiple flowers, the birds, the animals, the sea creatures, the tiny little baby with the little ear and little tiny fingernails, and the fact that they've got all their organs working the way they do, mathematics and how it works, classical music and how it works, food, everything in this creation screams there's a God, and then you've got a conscience that says there's a God with the law of God written on it, you know there's a God. But what if this God had not desired to reveal himself to us? Did he have to speak to us? No. Oh, wow. There is a God and he is not silent. Thank you. There's a God and he is not silent. In fact, he's been speaking to us from the very beginning. From the very beginning. The Bible doesn't leave it fuzzy as to whether or not you can know God. I don't know. I don't know if there's anything we know about God. The Bible does not leave it fuzzy as to whether you know anything about God. From Genesis 1-1 all the way to Revelation 21. The resounding answer is there is a God and you can know him because he loves you and he wants you to know him. And so he speaks. When you want to know someone, you speak. When you love someone, you speak. When you want to reveal yourself and have them understand you better, you speak. There is a God who loves you, therefore he has been speaking from the very beginning. See, the God of the Bible, unlike, unlike the impersonal first cause that some philosophers have proposed, is not hiding and he is not 
silent. He speaks. And so what verse 1 is referring to is how he first spoke to us through the Old Testament prophets at various times and in various ways. See, God is not a force. He's a person. He's a person. And unlike some people you might know, he is not withdrawn or uncommunicative. You might live with someone that way, but that's not your God. That's not your God at all. And he's also not just some kind of philosophical idea to mull over or debate. God is a person who loves you and wants you to know him. Oh, but he did something that takes it to a whole new level. His love for us and his desire for us to know him compelled him to send his son. Oh, he didn't have a dozen of them. His only begotten son, whom he dearly loved and for all of eternity had had perfect, glorious fellowship with him. He sent him and the son laid aside the glories and the splendors and the privileges of heaven and stooped and came into our world to speak to us. Say, wow. That's what Christmas is all about. And that's what sets Christianity woo, apart from every other religion that exists. The fact that God would speak to us and we are so below him is amazing. But the way he speaks to us today, according to this passage, is mind-boggling. It's through his son who took on flesh and came into our world. Look at, look at verse 2 again. He has in these last days. Now, I hope you realize, when are the last days? Now. Right now. So if you had a mindset of, hey, when we get to the last days, I'm going to get really serious about living for the Lord, using my money in a way that's, that's uh, let me help you. That's now. Right now, your time, your money, your priorities, we are in the last days. And he in these last days has spoken to us by his son. By his son. What this passage is driving home to us is that God so, so desperately wanted to show us his love and for us to know him that he took on flesh and sent his son to arrive in a manger to live with us, to speak to us, to die for us, and to rise again, conquering sin, Satan, and death forevermore. What these rich verses are driving home to us in some of the most glorious language that you can find in all the New Testament is that this son... This son is not some kind of second-hand knock-off God that you'd find down in the streets of New York City in Chinatown in some back alley 
where people are gluing little Louis Vuitton and Gucci emblems onto cheap purses and trying to sell them as the real thing. They do that, I hope you know. Be careful what you buy. If it's 15 bucks and it says it's Louis Vuitton, it ain't. They glued that on there. But some people have that idea about Jesus, that this passage is saying, oh, no, no, no. Jesus is the real thing, the express image and substance and person of God, the very brilliance and radiance of his glory. And he came down to us in flesh. God with us, Emmanuel. Merry Christmas. That's what Christmas is all about. And that's what sets Christianity apart from every other religion. Look at Hebrews 1.3 again. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. See, what he's saying, what the author wants us to grasp is that the fullest revelation of God is found in his Son, you'll never get a fuller revelation. You'll never get a better understanding of what God is like than in his son. That's why the entire New Testament, really the Bible, but especially the entire New Testament is centered on Jesus. Jesus. He's the main character from start to finish. Jesus. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Tell us what he said and what he did when he took on flesh and walked this earth for 33 years. And it was so important, God, by his spirit, thought, we better get it four times. Here's a view of it from Matthew. Here's a view of it from Mark. Here's a view of it from Dr. Luke. Here's a view of it from John. Because this is so important. Jesus, what he did, what he said when he took on flesh and walk this earth. And then the 13 epistles or letters to the churches, like the book of Romans, simply go on and explain in more detail. In the gospels, you see what he did and what he said. In the epistles, you learn why. Why did he do it? Why did he do it? And how it was designed to change our lives and our future destiny forevermore. And then the book of Revelation that closes out the Bible is a book where the Spirit of God pulls back the curtain and just gives us a little glimpse, just a glimpse of where we're all headed and a glimpse of King Jesus being fully recognized for who he is, not by a few, but by every living creature both in heaven and on the earth and under the earth. It's all about Jesus. And that's why he is, say it, better. Better. In other words, there's no clearer word about God than what we learn about Jesus. These are not two separate things. Well, I don't want to learn about Jesus. I want to know about God. You're talking nonsense. You want to know God? You learn Jesus. You follow Jesus. You sit at the feet of Jesus. You drink in Jesus. You worship Jesus. You do not get a clearer word about God than what you learn about Jesus. In fact, Jesus is the final word on God. He's the word made flesh. 
That's why Christmas is such an incredible celebration that God would take on flesh and come to us and die for us because he loves us and wants us to know him. He's not a hiding, silent God. He's a seeking, saving God. Here's what I want you to think about a minute. Because I think we can often be guilty of this. Have you ever been guilty of complaining that you just don't hear from God? I just don't hear from God. See, when we get frustrated and complain and say that we're not hearing from God, what I think we mean is that he is not speaking to us in the ways that we would demand or crave the most. What we're really saying is, I want something better than Jesus and the 27 books of the New Testament. I know we got the Bible, but I don't want to read that. I want a 2.0, 3.0 version of how God speaks to me. I want God to speak out loud to me. I want God to write with his finger on the wall in my den, just like he did in Daniel. I want him to send an angel to the foot of my bed in the night watches and tell me that grandma's okay. See, that's what gives us a buzz. We think, oh my goodness. Folks, that's sad. There's nothing that should give you a greater buzz than the fact that God would send his son to take on flesh and come into our world to live for us, die for us, and rise again for us. And then would be willing to live in us by his spirit. That's how you know God. That's how you sense God's presence. That's how you feel intimate with God. It's not all these other things that so many people chase after. Oh, listen to me. When you say that you wish for some of these other things and you ignore what he's already given to us, a revelation of Jesus Christ through the scriptures. You are actually saying, whether you ever say it out loud or not, I want something better than what you've already done, God, at that first Christmas. I want something better. Now maybe you're saying, okay, Brad, then how would I know God? How would I know him today? How would I hear from him today? You're gonna love this. This is so new. I've never said this. <laughs> Read your Bible, starting with the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then moving on to the 13 epistles, saying, God, show me Jesus. I want to know you through your son, Jesus. I want to walk with him. I don't have to wonder, what would he... What would he be like? What would you be like towards disenfranchised people? How would you treat people that are broken and weak? We don't have to guess. You watch Jesus interact with real people like the woman at the well with her fifth husband. You watch him interact with real people like the woman caught in the very act of adultery. You watch him interact with a Zacchaeus who had stolen money from so many people. You want to know God? You read the Gospels and you go on and read the epistles and you start building an intimacy and a closeness that is yours personally. Not Brad Bigney or a friend or your grandmother, your mother. You will start to know him. He will be real to you. 
be like, when you head out the door, it's like, he's real. Jesus is real to me. God is real to me. It's alive to me. See, these all, all these other things, when people, here, I might, I might offend somebody. Listen, if you say, I just don't hear from God personally, I don't feel his presence, and I don't feel like I know him. If you don't read your Bible, you won't. God isn't going to give us something else. I, I know it's amazing. We live in a visual day. We live in a social media day. We live in a soundbite day. Our God hasn't gone soundbite. He still gives us the full revelation of Jesus Christ through the written word. And he's given us his spirit. If you're a believer, the spirit of Christ lives in you. Trust me, he wants you to understand his word more than you want to. You come to God's word with God's spirit and a humble heart saying, oh God, I want to know you. I want to know you personally. I want intimacy with you. Mark my words, he will not turn you away. And you will not say at the end of a year of that journey, I still don't know any more than I did before. No. He's given us God, who in various ways, in various times, has spoken to us through the prophets, has spoken to us in these last days by his son. His son. His son. His son. His son. You start reading your Bible. Listen to me. Here's what some of you fail to understand. God did not give us 66 books of the Bible and certainly not four gospels about Jesus and 13 epistles unpacking the details of Jesus just to stick our head full of information. God gave us his word for transformation. It changes you. I love to read. I just finished a huge, big, fat book on Winston Churchill. I'm in the middle of a big, fat book about the migrations of the African Americans from south to north. I love reading. But folks, it's information that often changes some about how I think and view the world. But nothing is even a close second to my reading this book year after year. It's not just information. It is transformation. I'm not becoming more like Jesus just because I'm a pastor another year. Well, he's a pastor. Of course he's going to be godly. Well, God help us if I wasn't reading God's word, not just to prepare a sermon for you, but to feed me. That's why I have a different Bible than this Bible that's next to my chair at home that it has nothing to do with counseling, nothing to do with small group, nothing to do with a leadership meeting, nothing to do with a sermon, because Brad Bigney has to sit in the presence of his Savior and feed for him self and it is changing me it just keeps changing me and it will change you too but you'll have to make time for it you have to set your alarm and get up earlier you have to cut off the tv you're gonna have to do something but i don't feel bad for you i don't whatever you would give up whatever you would give up to do this you will not be sorry because this is say it again say it louder Say it like you just might do it. Yeah. Here we go. Let's pray. No, I got some more. <laughs> ah, but I got more. Because here's what I want you to understand. Oh, God will never speak to us more clearly than he has through his son. And the author doesn't leave us guessing. But why is Jesus the final and fullest word on God? He tells us. That's my third point. God has exalted Jesus 
because of who he is and all that he's done that is exclusive to him. Nobody else could do this. Nobody else did do this. Nobody else would do this. But Jesus did. Jesus did. Oh, the middle of verse 2 through the end of verse 4 is a glorious string of accolades that are piled together and rolled out in a way that leaves you dizzy and breathless regarding the place and purpose, the exalted place and purpose of Jesus Christ. You could call these four verses nosebleed theology because it's up where the air is thin and our human mind struggled to even get a hold of it, but it's so wonderful to even grasp a fraction of what is being said here about our Savior. It's quite frankly some of the most majestic and beautiful literature in all the New Testament. The book of Hebrews uses more descriptive words and a higher level of Greek than any other book in the New Testament. Whoever this was, some think it was Paul, some think it was Apollos, it is glorious, it's majestic. These four verses, if we were to compare it to classical music, this is Pachelbel's canon in D. This is Mozart's Marriage of Figaro. This is Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. It soars, it's a symphony of glorious, glorious truth about our Savior and why he is, say it, better, better, better. Oh, when you begin to grasp even a fraction of all that's being rolled out here about Jesus, then you'll begin to realize why we don't need angels. Our culture makes so much of angels, and I watch Christians get sucked right into it. No angel died for you. Jesus, Jesus, get over the angels. Jesus, you realize you don't need angels. You don't need the Virgin Mary's face to show up in your breakfast omelet either. Right? Oh, man, I think I see Mary in this omelet. Oh, Mary in a cloud in Iowa. Let's get our lawn chairs and wait for her to show up again. Now, please know, the Virgin Mary, as a teenager, probably 13 years old, is someone well worth emulating. It's amazing that a teenager would receive a message from an angel saying, you're going to be pregnant. Oh, but it's by God. You've got a fiance. Go ahead and try to explain this to him. And, and she risked being rejected, being stoned, being ostracized. And she said, yes, Lord. Wow. But I tell you this, she is to be emulated. She is not to be worshipped. Even Mary her would, herself would say, oh, please, no, 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 no. I am simply his obedient servant. My joy that I got chosen to be the one, but worship the one. Worship Jesus, because Mary would say, Jesus is Yes. You don't need the face of the Virgin Mary in your breakfast omelet. He's given us something so much better, better. So is it any wonder that verse four climaxes with 
So he is better and has been given a more excellent name. But of all these clauses and all these descriptions of who he is and what he's done, I don't think it's any accident that the entire symphony reaches its climax and sticks the landing with his atoning work when he purged our sins and paid for our sins. And oh, by the way, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Oh, yes, Jesus was the one who created all the galaxies, all the stars, everything you see. Oh, yes, Jesus right now is the very one who upholds all things and sustains it by the word of his power, including your next breath. But that all pales in comparison to the fact that he purged our sins and paid the price so that it is finished. He's the only one. That phrase, sat down, don't just read that and think, okay, whatever. Every high priest that had ever operated before, and there were lots of them, offering a bull or a goat, every high priest had to keep doing it. The sacrifice had to be repeated. The sacrifice had to be repeated. Someone had to be killed. An animal's blood had to be shed over and over and over and over. So there was no seat in the temple. There was no seat in the tabernacle because it was never done. But Jesus came as the Lamb of God to offer his own blood so that now he can sit down because it is finished. Oh, hallelujah. What a savior. See, he didn't come to just feed the hungry. He did that to get attention so that people would say, whoa, you don't see that every day. Five fish, two loaves of bread just fed 5,000 people. But even when he did that, they still so often missed it, right? Instead of them saying, who is this? I should listen to what he says. They chased him down and said, do it again. Do it again. We don't want to ever have to make bread again. Be our bread king. He didn't come to be the bread king. He came to solve our biggest problem, which was our sin problem that separated us from holy God. He didn't come to heal the lame and to open blind eyes. He did all of that so that people would take note and then listen to his life-changing message of where real once and for all forgiveness could be found so that human beings who are sinners could be made right with a holy God. After he had purged our sins, sat down. Also that at the right hand of the majesty on high is an indication of priority and authority and honor to be at the right hand. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He's the final word who's done the final work that was necessary to forgive us. With all the majesty and glory and superlatives that are strung together in these four verses about Jesus, I hope you realize that's why Jesus is not just one of many ways that you might consider as to how you could be made right with God. We live in a world that if there is given thought to God, 
everything's always treated as, oh, it's all the same, it's all the same, it's all the same. You can't do that with Jesus. You cannot just put Jesus on the shelf next to all the other sages and philosophers and any religious person that's ever said they could point the way or give you some truth about God. Why? Because Jesus will not allow you to do it. Jesus himself didn't say, oh, I know the way and I'll point you there. Oh, I have some truth that I'll share with you. Jesus in John 14, 6 said, I am, say it. I am I am, no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, I know what just happened. In our pluralistic society and our culture of multiple choice, that offended some of you because it sounds so exclusive. But that's because Jesus is exclusive and set apart in a category unto himself. No one else did for you what Jesus has done. There is no other religion who offers what Christianity offers. Not, here's what you gotta do to please God. Work hard, here's the list, here's the boxes, here's the hoops. Christianity is the only of all the religions that says, oh no, God, set the standard and then sent his son to take on flesh to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. Only Christianity. So let me offend you some more. That's why it's nonsense. You show yourself to be very ignorant if you say things like, oh, all religions are the same. I know the media loves to harp on that and they think that's how we'll have peace and unity on earth. It's not. And religions are not all the same. When you say that, you, you expose your gross ignorance regarding the original doc, documents. Most of these religions have their own holy book, folks. You show your gross ignorance regarding the original documents of Islam, Judaism, Confucianism, Buddhism, Hinduism, and Christianity, they could not be more different. Because no other religion has a God who comes down to us. Every other religion points the way and says, work hard, good luck, hope you can do it. Others are trying. Every other religion compels a man or woman to travel hundreds of miles and kiss some statue. I saw it as I went over to Europe. There's a foot of a statue in this basilica that that foot has been replaced three times now because it's disappeared from all the kissing. They've worn it out, literally worn it out, kissing. That's what other religions, every other religion compels a man or woman to walk across the wilderness and bathe in a sacred river or to crawl on your hands and knees up a sacred staircase. I watched that also, working your way through a rosary, hoping to merit favor and do enough good or take a journey to Mecca by the end of your life or light some candles or burn some incense or give some money. Christianity is the only religion, the only one that has no compulsory pilgrimage, no hoops to jump through, no boxes to check off because the pilgrimage has already been made. God came down to us. Merry Christmas. That's the heart of Christianity. That's the very heart and soul of Christianity. 
So if you're here and you're not a Christian, oh, I'm so glad you're here today. So glad. Because the history, sadly, of Christianity itself has confused what the message is. Churches well-meaning have muddied and muddled and even trampled over what it's really all about. Jesus Christ and the free gift of eternal life by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, plus what? Nothing. Nothing. And so I've done my best today. Whatever you've been taught, whatever you picked up, whatever you thought it was, according to the scriptures, I've done my best to try to help you see this, this is what Christianity is all about. And it's Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done for us. I wanna ask you to bow your heads as we close, as I pray. And maybe you're here and this has provoked you a little bit. This has stirred you. This has pricked you. This has unsettled you. But you would say, I need to think about this. I need to investigate this further. That's fair. But I would tell you, don't delay. Don't wait. Put it at the top of your to-do list for the new year. And as you do, please Examine the person and work of Jesus Christ according to the clearly recorded record in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. With an attitude of, God, I want to know you. I want to know who Jesus really is. Don't go already decided. Even if you say, but I don't believe the Bible's God's inspired word. That's all right. You don't have to. It's still powerful. Read it. If you've never read it, read it. Read it. But maybe you're here and you'd say, oh, Brad, I'm ready. This has stirred me. I've been hungry. This is what I've been looking for. I've had religion. I've chased after the world. I want a relationship with this kind of God through his son, Jesus Christ, that loves me this much. Just pray this simple prayer after me. Oh, God, thank you for giving your son to do for me what I could never do for myself. I am a sinner that could never remove my sin or earn your favor. And Jesus died to purge and pay for my sins. I believe. I put my trust in Jesus. Come into my life. Fill me. Give me purpose. Give me peace. Give me joy. And use me for your glory. I pray in Jesus' name.